I will be preaching for you and uh, reading for you out of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, to the end of the chapter, verse 28. Hear now the word of God. Actually, I will be uh, reading from 19 and going to the end of the chapter. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. And by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word of encouragement for us to have an all and a hope of the power of Jesus Christ, of his greatness and his superior, supreme superiority over all things, namely our salvation and our hope. Father, may it be through the hearing of your word today that it would increase our hope and our hope would be centered in him, that we would repent in our hearts and toss away idols and that in those places where there once was idols, that there would be truly the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of repetition in the book of Hebrews, and obviously, if the Lord ordained and called and inspired the word of God, as he has, which we believe and we uphold as being our only authority and rule in life, we need to hear repetition. There is a repetition of a theme that I have mentioned over and over again through this series in Hebrews, and once again, it is here for us today that we would strive to enter his rest. Hold fast confession in him and to draw near to God. This is an admonition to us that is odd that we would need. We would think that we would want to have the Lord's rest. We would think that we would celebrate rest. I know that whenever I talk to people during the week, tomorrow I will go to work 
And I will see people on Monday and they'll say, well, it's a Monday, <laughs> right? You know, it's because they know it's, it's, it's a negative thing because they have to work all week. And then when they come to Friday, they'll say, it's Friday, you know, because they're glad that they have a rest ahead, a weekend ahead. But for some reason in our flesh and in our weakness, we do get distracted and we seek to find rest in things that actually do not give us rest, that actually give us toil, that actually take things away from us. When we often have time to have rest, we will find ourselves consumed with things that are taking away our sleep. And that's one reason why we do not get enough sleep. We're always finding ways to avoid that rest. Here again, we are called to strive and enter into his rest, to hold fast his confession, and to draw near to him. You may be thinking, as you may have read this passage before you came here today, um, and you might think, well, I don't see that theme. You keep imposing that theme. And you know, as a confession, I may be imposing it. But I think it's very clearly there as you look and you see repetitive. It just as I end with the beginning of the last passage that I read, this call to draw near to him, we see the same thing over and over again. And because the writer of the Hebrews highlighted these three particular things, I think very clearly in chapter four, I think that it is a good thing for us to continue to see the rest of the book of Hebrews in light of those three callings to strive to enter rest, to hold fast his confession And to draw near to God because this was to be an encouragement, an admonishment, encouragement for us to hold on to Christ so that we might find rest and that we might be near to him. That is the ultimate goal that God desired in creating mankind was that he would have this communion, this fellowship with his creatures, us, his people. And it should be an encouragement to us that this is what the Lord desires. It is a provocation, and he even gets, as I mentioned before, he gets a little rough with us by telling us to quit being dull of hearing. But it is a provocation so that we may be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. This is our inheritance. This is what's due to us because of what Jesus has accomplished. Jesus paid for this. He paid for this fellowship with us and the Father and the Holy Spirit and with him. And so it is imperative that we receive this inheritance. And he chooses and desires to remind us and to encourage us and to draw us by commanding it in his word. We have here quoted today in today's passage, Psalm 110, which is quoted multiple times. It is the most common Um, psalm that's ever quoted in the New Testament. And I wanted to read, it's only seven verses again. It's important to have that resonating in our head because the book of Hebrews is a book that is based upon context. It is based upon the context of everything that we see in the old covenant, but also in the things that were going on in that particular group of people, the Hebrew Christians. It was, it's very important for us to have that context. So Psalm 110 verses one through seven, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. There's so much in these seven verses that remind us of the hope and the promises, very firm and clear promises that his son, that Jesus Christ will rule in the midst of his enemies, that he is able to rule because he is both the king and he is the priest of the Most High. The Lord has sworn this. It is rooted in his very word and promise. And it is rooted in something more powerful than the things that we can see in creation. He is at the right hand. Here we have an encouragement that includes corpses in the dead of the wicked. But also we have the freshness of being those who are brought before his presence in holy garments The womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. And we see that as Jesus is furthering his kingdom, that he takes refreshment. Here as it ends, he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. That he is glorified, there is refreshment. This psalm in this particular book is to be a refreshment. That the power of God and his grace and his judgment is to be a refreshment. To him and to his people. And so I pray that this particular passage today will also be a refreshment to you. Because these particular calls and commands that we have from God to strive to enter into his rest, to hold fast his confession, and to draw near to him is guaranteed to us. It is something that saves us, and it is rooted in the perfection of his son. Those are the three things that I see in this passage today that echo that same calling. One, we have this assurance of Christ's reign over all things and us being near him in communion and fellowship with him. We have a forever oath by the covenant guarantor of Jesus Christ that's highlighted in verses 20 through 22. We have a forever intercessor by the saving conqueror that's highlighted in verses 23 through 25. And thirdly, we have a forever priesthood by the perfect son, verses 26 through 28. First of all, there in verse 20, it says, And it is not without an oath that we have this better hope. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. I know that whenever I am dealing with temptation or difficulty or distraction, that I need this kind of guarantee that if I turn away from those particular temptations, that I turn away from sin, that if I turn away from hopelessness, and if I turn away from useless and fruitless distractions, that there is truly a hope. Because somewhere interwoven, if you think about this, 
If you think about any temptation or distraction that you might have, inside of that, Satan is telling you that there's a prize, that there's something good in that. Most of the time, unless we're just in complete despair and destruction, and maybe sometimes some of you, and including me, are in that kind of place, Maybe it's even in light of complete hopelessness, we feel like there is at least some kind of vindication. There's some kind of prize. There's some kind of goodness that that's the end of turning away from God. Well, we need a guarantor. We need a guarantee that if we turn away from those things, from that kind of despair, that there will be betterment. And it's, it's, it's ironic that that's a difficulty for us. But in the flesh, that is where we are vulnerable we are vulnerable to believe in lies. And when we ever start to go down that path, Satan piles on those lies. We have here that in Jesus Christ, we have that the hope and promises that we have of not only our salvation, but of our communion in the goodness with God is secured by an oath that is full and rich and superior, superior to not only the temptations that Satan may give, but superior to even the, o- the other things that the Lord has ordained to be for the goodness of highlighting who he is. It is the supreme hope of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 11, I swore, excuse me, in verse, um, I'm looking at the wrong chapter here, verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind You are a priest forever. This priesthood position in office that Jesus Christ provides has a a tremendous richness in it that we need to be reminded of so that we may want to hope in it and hold on to it. But whenever we see a sworn oath like this, often with God, whenever we have this promise from God, it is often accompanied with a warning as well. We must strive to hold on to this swearing of hope. Otherwise, he has also said, as we see in chapter 3, verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And that's a quoting of Psalm 95 for those who rebel against God, for those who do not enter into holding on to that rest, who refuse to strive to enter into the rest and the hope of God. That God also has a promise, a sworn oath, that they will not enter into his rest. We see this highlighted again in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again and again, the Lord reminds us that if we hear this call, if we, as we see in verse 3 of chapter 4, if we believe, we will enter into his rest But if we harden our hearts and we do not hear his voice, we will not enter into his rest. And he swears that this is so. And so therefore he also swears that there is a hope that if you turn away 
from these things that are distractions and disobediences against God, that there is a hope in this high priest, Jesus Christ, who is supreme and over all of these things. Now, I know these things can be hard to understand and see in the context, but I wanted to highlight. So whenever we see an oath from God, remember that we've had in the past teaching that the oath in God means that he is promising upon himself, which is secure more than anything else. There's nothing that can be guaranteed or better than swearing upon his own name. And he is saying that this is a good and a certain thing for, your, for you, that Jesus is the high priest for your sake and for our fellowship. But always inside of that, we need and we need to be encouraged that it's not just some kind of um, encouragement of his grace apart from the warning of his wrath. And recently I made a post on social media about the rainbow. And it's interesting, you know, this is the time of the year where we see the rainbow highlighted, especially amongst companies. I don't know, for some reason, it seems interesting that there has been a very um, successful agenda of getting companies to, on this particular month, to coat everything in a rainbow color. And I believe that it is a very clear sign that Satan is doing all that he can to not, he cannot do anything to take away from God's glory. He cannot do anything to, to thwart his ultimate judgment. But he can deceive the wicked. He can propel the wickedness to actually embrace their own destruction. And that's the crazy thing, how he will use the very things that are the most precious of God to actually deceive the wicked to be sustained in their destruction, to be content with their destruction. We see that the rainbow in the Bible is given to us as a hope and a promise. We know that in Genesis chapter 9, that the rainbow was given to us as a promise that he would never again destroy the earth with water as he did. Why did he destroy the earth with water as he did? Because mankind was wicked and disobeyed him. We see that this hope and this oath and this promise of God is in the backdrop of an earth that once was full of other people that have now been destroyed. But inside of that, there was a remnant of people that he had promised that he would preserve his line and his namesake through those people and that he would never again destroy the earth like that again. That was a temporal type of shadow of ultimately of what Christ is. That that particular oath to the creation, to all creatures, was that ultimately pointing to a full redemption of his people and of his creation. And then when we read Revelation, we see that the rainbow once again is surrounding the great white throne of Jesus Christ. Here we have in the very final judgment... We see the rainbow once again that actually is is highlighting for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of his ultimate promise of grace. But what happens at the white throne? We see that at the great white throne, we see that there is also judgment. It says in 
Verse 5 of chapter 21, And he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Here we see this fulfillment of promise for God's people, that because of Jesus Christ, because of this sonship, that we too get to drink from this water of life without payment. We get to drink from this life that was given to us fully by the grace of God and fully because of the righteousness and the heritage of Jesus Christ. But in verse 8, as we see Jesus Christ making this proclamation here at the end, he is making this proclamation to all things. He is also saying, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So here we see Jesus Christ with the rainbow around him, making this proclamation of his grace to his people, but also his judgments to the wicked. We have here, again, we have this call and this reminder of how God does things, that he swears by an oath. He also swears that those who rebel against him, that he swears by an oath that they will not enter into the rest. But he says, for those who hear his word, and for those who believe, I swear an oath that my son will be the perfect priest. And how does that make us hopeful? Why is Jesus's perfect priesthood in God's perfect oath an encouragement to us? It's because it is the only thing that we can hope in in a time when we are bombarded by every temptation and distress that there could be that Jesus has overcome these things. Secondly, we have a forever conqueror by the saving intercessor. I know there's a lot of words to try to come into a point, but if you could just think about it, we have a forever oath by a covenant guarantor. So Jesus himself, by the very name of God, guarantees for us that we have this hope in his priesthood. Secondly, the forever conqueror, who is Jesus Christ, we have a forever conqueror by the saving intercessor. And this is a confession for us to hold on to. And I think here is where we need to be reminded of that right here and right now, even as I'm preaching this sermon, and as you may be having different thoughts going on in your mind, and you have different plans, and you may have different considerations, Jesus Christ in this very moment is interceding for us. That he is before the Father, sitting at his right hand, And he is calling out our name before the Father. It is a work of priesthood that is continual. We have the intercessory access before God because of what happened on the cross. 
We have that on the cross that Jesus took the wrath that was due to us. And because of the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus now is in ultimately in the fullness of the Holy of Holies before the Father. And he keeps calling out our names. He keeps calling out the reality of who we are. Even now, Communion Fellowship Church and all the different families of those who are his, Jesus is there before representing us before the Father so that we already and now our person, who we are, our reality is in the Holy of Holies with the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done. But we also have the not yet that Jesus is intercessing for us and petitioning our continued sanctification and salvation. That right now, that he is petitioning, he's saying something like, even though Charles is not that great at trying to exposit this particular passage, sanctify your people, O Father. Holy Spirit, fill them up and use these particular things, even maybe his mistakes and his stammering, to bring about the sanctification of his people. He's speaking your names. He's saying, even though this particular person right now may be dealing with this temptation or this particular doubt or this particular distraction, Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, move upon these people and bring about their perfection. He's doing that continually for us now. As we sing praises and we pray prayers, and we make confessions and proclamations, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and taking those things before the Father. That is continuing to happen 24-7 as a continual work of Jesus Christ's priesthood. Now that should be encouraging to us to be thinking about that as we leave here and as you go through different things, you'll, you might go and have a car accident and you may be at a moment of complete despair. And to know that Jesus Christ is at that very moment interceding on your behalf, that the promises that he has proclaimed for his people will actually be manifested and fulfilled in that exact moment of whatever you're dealing with. Richard just shared with me that a person out in public um, made a comment to him. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily a threatening comment, but it wasn't an encouraging comment because they'd seen him at the abortion mill. And it was definitely received as threatening, as being a mockery to Richard. In that particular moment, when that person said whatever they were going to say to try to intimidate and to try to scare Richard, because Richard is standing up for the defenseless and because he's obeying God and seeking to see Christ's power manifested on the streets where children are actually killed. At that particular moment, Jesus is interceding for Richard before the Heavenly Father and speaking and reminding the Father of the promises that it is for his people that that particular moment would be used and sanctified for the furthering of his kingdom. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is continuing as a forever priesthood because he is a forever conqueror. Because of what happened on the cross, anything that happens to us, both the encouragement of hearing the birds sing when we're praying this morning, 
And when we hear the reviling of those people on the street, speaking blasphemies against God's name, that all of those things are going through the intercession of Jesus Christ continually. So that we would not be discouraged whenever we are suffering for righteousness sake. That if we are suffering, we know that our conqueror is before the Lord. Let me read that particular part. It says, the former priests in verse 23, says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death continuing in office. But he, Jesus Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And then verse 25, and brothers and sisters, I encourage you to memorize this verse. I've been working on it ever since I've was working on this particular passage, and I think this is a great memory verse for us. And I, I definitely admonish and encourage you to memorize this. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So when we think about the fact that, number one, that Jesus' priesthood that was based upon an oath is permanent because of why? Because he is eternal and he has risen from the grave. That all the other priests were limited because they died. But because Jesus rose from the grave and his priesthood is continually, consequently, which that word means therefore or wherefore, or in the Greek, it's ho then. It sounds like something that would be a, a nice word from this early. Ho then! <laughs> like, hold up. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, ho then, hold up. Because based upon what Jesus is eternally, he is able to save to the uttermost. I love that word. Uttermost. Or outermost, continually, for every area of our life. That word is only used twice in the New Testament. It's in Luke 13, in Luke 13, chapter, I mean, Luke 13, verse 14, when it says, And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent over double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she stood up straight again and began to glorify God. That word, the, the phrase there, at all, is the same Greek word, which is pantales, which means fully and completely. But this woman, because of this evil spirit, had caused her to bend over. She could not straighten herself up at all, completely. She was completely undone. From being able to, in her own strength, be able to do that. She was fully disabled. But here in Hebrews, it says that because of what Jesus is as that continual forever priest, because of what he did on the cross in the resurrection, he is able to save to the all, the completeness. He's able to reverse that curse. He's, he's able to reverse that disability that fully every outermost part of our being, God is saving. So that means everything that you're doing. 
Even when you get up to go to the bathroom, there is something in that particular context that the Lord ultimately is using for the refining of his kingdom. You might think, well, that's, that's really weird, Charles. But that's the kind of thing that we see here in his word that we want to understand that every single thing. God does not want you to think that for one single moment, one single second, in one single event, that God is not involved in interceding for you. That should be an encouragement to us. That should be an encouragement because he's a conqueror that has defeated death. So what is it that you can put before the Lord? What one thing can you put before the Lord that you're going to say, okay, well, you know, yeah, you, you defeated death on the cross, and yet you took on the sins of the whole world, and you, def- you defeated our greatest enemy, Satan, and death. And, but, but God, this thing in my life, I mean, we do this all the time. This is bigger than that. <laughs> See how ridiculous that sounds? We do it every day. We do it every day whenever we succumb to temptation. We think that this is bigger and better than what God is accomplishing through his son. And so hold up. Hold then. Because of what he has done, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It is not just random grace. It is for those for who are his who are being drawn near to him in those perfect garments being renewed by him and through him since he always lives to make intercession. This is an encouragement to us that it is completely, fully in our lives that God is interceding for us through his son. And then lastly, for verses 26 through 28, we see here, That we have a forever priesthood by the perfect son. This is in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer up sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We have this different tenor from what we've been seeing for the last few chapters that is ultimately taking us back to the very beginning of the book of Hebrews that this particular promise, this security that we have in Jesus Christ, this forever priesthood is secured because it is based upon the perfect son. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, a lot of times when we think about Jesus, and this is not necessarily wrong, but we like to think about the fact that Jesus comes and he eats with sinners, that he's with the sinners, and that he is, he is gracious to us, you know, even though we're weak and we're stumbly and we're foolish. And that's a good thing for us to have that concept. But a lot of times when we have that in our mind, We forget that Jesus is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. 
He is separated from sinners in the fact that he is without sin. Even though he understands our plight because he was in the flesh and he was tempted in all things, he is without sin. Now, most of us like to be around people that are like us, right? We like, if, they're, if they have the same kind of foibles, we kind of like that. We, like, you know, we don't have that kind of intimidation because they're like, a lot like us. If they have certain strengths that are similar to ours, we like that. We like that commonality. But there's one thing about Jesus Christ that you and in of yourself are not capable of conjuring up. That is Jesus Christ and his holiness. And that he's unstained. And it is imperative for us that we remember that he is separate from us because of that. Because we are those who are sinners. We are those who are stained. And it is something that we need to celebrate because if he was like us, if he was foolish like us, if he was weak in the sense of sin like us, then we would have no hope. That our hope is actually based upon the fact that he is a son made perfect. Not just perfect in the fact that he is holy, but he is made perfect in the fact that he has done everything perfectly as he was called to do by being that who took the wrath on our place. He is perfect or perfect because he was not only holy, before the foundations of the world, but he was made perfect by being the perfect substitute on our behalf. And this is imperative for us to understand because inside of this perfect son, this forever priesthood, what will actually communicate to us that this forever priesthood is synonymous with his forever love. Because when we bring in the element of that Jesus Christ is the Son, it changes everything. We can understand that Jesus Christ is the guarantor. We can say, yeah, someone, you know, it's kind of like when you sign for a loan. If you get a co-signer, you're like, someone who's a billionaire signing for your loan for maybe $5,000 for a junker car, that's nothing, right? You're like, yeah, he's a billionaire. He's good for it. You know, and you kind of think of it that way. It's like, man... We're, we're, we're secure. Our, this, this hope that we have, that this is going to get paid for, is secure because he's a billionaire. He is so beyond. It is secure. And then secondly, we can see that when you have one who is a conqueror and who, who's defeated the biggest enemy of all time, is actually living in and who is standing before us better than any lawyer before the greatest judge ever, we can say, yeah, he beat he beat death. He beat Satan. This is, a, this is a great thing. He's standing on our behalf. He is the, the most perfect priest because he has taken the fullness of God's wrath. But here's where it gets to be personal. Because of this priesthood role that Jesus takes on, we are able to draw near to God in his love. That, that's ultimately what the priesthood is about. If you think about it, it is so that we could be in fellowship with him. Last week I asked you, I said, would any of you choose to be just perfect as your superhero power? Or do you ever think about the fact or desire to be perfect? Well, the next question is, why would you want to be perfect? What would be the greatest thing about being perfect? 
If, if we can have everything healed about us and we can have ultimate strength and we could not fall to temptation and all that, we, had, we were just perfect, what's the ultimate benefit of that? You're with God. You are able to be with God. You're able to know Him and to experience Him. You're able to love Him and be fully loved by Him. That this whole thing about Jesus' forever priesthood is not just so that we would be perfected one day, not just so that we could have some encouragement that all of this suffering is going to eventually go away and we will have a painless life. It is ultimately because we will be able to be drawn near fully into the fellowship of God and to experience him fully as the son does because we have been given this inheritance. Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 that says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or in, this is repeating all of these particular passages out of Hebrews chapter 1. It says, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 2 Samuel seven fourteen. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. Psalm 104. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The reason why we should take encouragement of this great and perfect and forever priesthood of Jesus Christ is because we get to experience what Jesus is experiencing from the Father, which is this all of gladness, which is beyond all other companions. We are able to be loved by God as he loves his son. That's beyond my understanding. That's hard for me to even fathom. But we see in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Are those not all ministering spirits, speaking of the angels, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? We are to inherit Jesus' inheritance. And ultimately, isn't the love of the Father greater than any of the, what may, could be considered the physical benefits of the inheritance? I mean, if you think about even in your own families, what's more important, that you get the inheritance of the house and the estate or that you have the love? Well, of course, the Father's love is greater than even any other benefits that come with that particular love. And that is guaranteed to us. It is our holdfast confession that because Jesus Christ is that priest, we have a perfect son, and therefore we have a perfect love. I'm going to end with Psalm 89, which is in the same tenor of what we see. When we see that Jesus is the son of God, and we see the father in the Psalms proclaiming that he is the son, we see also what that ultimately is saying in Psalm 89. In verse 1, it says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. And I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. 
My steadfast love, this is in verse 28, I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand for him, firm for him. And I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. When God proclaims that he will bring forth his offspring, and give to them the steadfast love forever, we become synonymous with Jesus Christ. When he says offspring, he is saying Jesus Christ. And because we are the offspring of the Lord, because of Jesus Christ, and we are those who inherit it, and who inherit those inheritances, we receive the love that is due Jesus Christ. This should be a great hope to us. I pray that you will remember that Jesus Christ's continual priesthood is not only for establishing us as those who will live forever. It is not only for the fact that we will be able to deal with the difficulties that we're going through this day. But it is ultimately a security for us that we have the love of the Father. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great and perfect priesthood of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would be encouraged by the reality of who Jesus is and that we would proclaim that goodness now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us praise the Lord.